0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz pianist Aaron Deal. He grew up in Columbus, Ohio and now lives in New York City. His latest album is 2015's Space-Time Continuum and much more music is now in the works. He started to play classical piano at the age of seven and was swooned by the work of both Oscar Peterson and Art Tatum. He would go on to tour with the Winton Marsalis Septet on a European swing, and he grew up quite a bit and was pushed rather hard by Winton He has won many awards over his life and played with a lot of luminaries on his jazz journey so far. So please, get to know Aaron and dig this interview, my friends.
1: Hey, Aaron, thank you for taking a little time out for me today. It's an honor to speak to you. Okay, no problem. I'm going to go ahead and start off here. I know that you've got a lot of things that are going on in your world on a regular basis, but in your own words... Give me kind of a verbal snapshot, so to speak, of what is going on.
2: Primarily, these days, I'm preparing for a performance with the New York Philharmonic, um, playing uh, Gershwin's Concerto and F
1: on uh, their opening night, uh,
2: September 21st, uh, the season opening night.
1: As far as your albums are concerned, your latest one, 2015 Space Time Continuum, talk to me about this album, how you feel about it, kind of in the afterglow.
2: Uh, well, I, I, first of all, I I, I wanted to incorporate in musicians from a few different generations in uh, this album. I wanted to find out how I could do that. The musicians, I, I wanted to include on it. I wanted to explore a little bit more some of my compositions and my writing and, and develop my writing, which has always been something i've been hesitant about i knew i needed to, to to present an album with maybe a few more of my or- originals and see where that could take me and and writing for specific people for example benny goldson was on uh, organic consequence uh, so i was thinking about a, a composition sort of in uh, influence of writing of benny goldson i uh, wanted to use the rhythm section that uh i've i mean i've essentially been playing with him since I've been in New York to some degree. I think I moved to New York in 2003. Quincy David and myself, uh, we go all the way back to 2005, 2006, when I recorded my first album ever. It's an out-of-print uh, disc called Mozart Jazz. It's uh, on a Japanese label called Pony Canyon. But um, So I wanted to have a combination of the familiar and the unfamiliar
1: uh, on this record date. So is there anything in the works for this year or next year that, that might be coming out?
2: There are. I, I can't disclose anything yet, but there are things for next year, that uh, uh, album that I hope
1: to be to be making.
2: Um, right now, primarily my focus is on the uh, New York Philharmonic debut. Uh, I'm playing some um additional concerts with Philip Glass, which is something I've been doing for the last year and a half playing his piano etudes, which has been exciting. And all of these things are sort of out of the traditional mold of a jazz pianist, which I like in the sense that it's uh, out of my comfort zone to a certain degree, but I also have a uh, classical music background, so I love playing you know, written, notated music, putting my own interpretation on it, uh, as uh, only, I guess, a jazz pianist can can, can do. You know, it, it, it's exciting to put you and I was just talking to a musician about this uh, recently. It's just putting yourself in relatively uncomfortable situations. So th- that's that's the outlook
1: for the next six months or so. So it has to be pretty thrilling to get involved with something, involved with book class.
2: Oh, definitely. And to be honest, I wasn't as familiar with his music as I am now, and I am still trying to become more acquainted with his works and I'm reading his autobiography, which is a uh, uh, which is great. It's just it's it's great to 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 be in close proximity and contact with a living legend, uh, composer who's you know who studied with Nadia Boulanger and a new Ravi Shankar. And, uh, I mean, it, it's just great to be around people who have been also in contact with with other greats and legends, and 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 as as has seen a lot uh, of musical development over the decade. So it's it's great, yeah.
1: There's a really good documentary I did see on him, I think, that's accessible through Netflix. But, yeah, I had no idea. I've always been a fan of his music, but I had no idea how involved he's been all over the place in music. He's just kind of a a real troubadour. So let me ask you this. How did a kid from Columbus, Ohio, get so interested in jazz and music – and make it his career?
2: Well, I think it's just a set of uh, circumstances, um, certainly through exposure. I was very fortunate. My grandfather's a jazz musician. He's a trombonist and pianist. He's 93, just turned 93 in May. Um, I went to church pretty much every Sunday. My parents took me. My grandfather sang in the choir. So I was exposed to music. I went to Catholic school. They had music as mean. I had a piano my, my home. My, my parents collected, had some CDs. They, they had very eclectic taste, but they had classical music, they had jazz, they had R&B. So I was just exposed from a young age. And I think something about music, something about the piano in particular was very, uh, was just very captivating. I'd always want to go to the living room where the piano was and, and play notes on the instrument even though i didn't know what i was doing and i was probably about five or six years old my parents get, got me lessons at seven it's just one of those things you know as i i was always drawn to it i can't really explain it i've always had a passion for it jazz it came later i think to be honest um really started playing jazz when i was about 12 or 13 i guess and then and one of the first experiences playing the music was at, at, at Interlock and Arts Camp. I met a guy that maybe you're familiar with. His name's Eldar J. Nguro. He goes by the name Eldar, but he was a child prodigy at that time, sort of like uh, Joey Alexander, I guess. He was also at Interlock, and, and we sort of struck a friendship, and uh, I was just so mesmerized about how, uh, how this guy played, improvised. I mean, he... he Knew the language of Oscar Peterson and Art Tatum. And, and so I, I was really like kind of envious, like, oh, I would love to play like that. And that was sort of the beginnings of my really delving into the jazz language and being interested. And I got piano lessons later on by a guy named um, Mark Flugie uh, in Columbus, Ohio. It's just like a serious, it's like a snowball effect. You know, one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. I met a uh, my high school band director who now lives in New York. He's a director of education at Jazz Lincoln Center. His name's Todd Stoll. He gave me my formative experiences in big bands. He had a, a, a band in Columbus called the Columbus Youth Jazz Orchestra, which was comprised of of uh, high school students around Central Ohio. It was like a uh, sort of all-star jazz ensemble for high school students. So I was just really lucky. I don't know if I would be doing what, I, what I'm doing now if I didn't have those experiences and come in, into contact with, with people and teachers like, like I had
1: in Columbus. You know, other big influences on you were Tatum and Oscar Peterson. What was it about their playing, obviously, Jazz Masters, that really allured you and kind of stuck with you?
2: Well, I think first of all, most people are probably drawn to—I mean, you mentioned Tatum and Peterson, their technique, the way they execute runs, the way they—the sort of the lightning speed of their facility on the instrument. As I've grown and matured, for example, Mark Fluki, who I mentioned earlier, you know, I would come in trying to play like Oscar Peterson, which I obviously couldn't. He would tell me, he said, "Well, you know, Oscar is great." But you need to check out Bill Evans or check out Thelonious Monk or check out Herbie Nichols. He had just a list of guys he wanted me to hear who didn't have overt technical flashiness but a lot of substance to their playing. And I think with Tatum in particular, who was probably the most technically capable individual to walk the face of the earth when it came to piano – What's so amazing to me now is not his technique but more his harmonic and rhythmic imagination. And I think that that's what's to be taken most from Tatum is the the way he manipulates harmony, the way he's able to manipulate rhythm going over the bar line, the way he interprets a melody and is able to develop it and, 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 and take you through a whole musical journey where you don't know where it's going to lead, his ability to manipulate humor, a, a, a range of emotions. I, I think I mean, Art Tatum. the more I listen to him and I go back to listening to him, I'm like, wow, this guy had so much. Where when you're first listening to him, you're just, you're just sort of flabbergasted or you're just awestruck by, by his, 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 his technical prowess, but that's really not what makes this guy so great.
1: Well, let me ask you this. You graduated from the Juilliard School in 2007. You studied with Kenny Barron and Eric Reed. What did you learn from them? What did you get from that experience that was lasting into today for you?
2: I think with, well, Kenny Barron, you know, Kenny Barron, I think what I learned from him is his time. Like his time is so incredible. And when we played in lessons, we played, played play duo. We'd have duo lessons. When well, he was, I mean, his time was just so rock solid. I just be, I just, I'd just be so fascinated about how he'd be playing all these lines, and you and, and could put a metronome on, and it would just be rock solid, be there constantly. He also taught me the importance of learning different tunes and learning songs and standards, and we'd work on that in lesson. Eric Reed, who I had, I think my last year, I had Kenny Barron my first year, Eric Reed my last year. Kenny Barron, uh, or Eric Reed, rather. Uh, He was someone who was very methodical and under. He taught me the importance of being detailed oriented. He would assign me certain transcriptions, or he "I want you to learn this," and I want. And he also understood my weaknesses. Like he, he knew I didn't really listen to a lot of Chick Corea fusion at the time, so he would assign me like Silver Temple or um, something from the Electric Band, like a tune, a King Cockroach or something. I don't know. You would have me transcribe these works and play them, play the solos, and you would talk about how to relate those to everything else that I knew and how to, to, to make, not, not compartmentalize music as, a, as, a, as a, it relates to their style, to connect everything, realize everything is a connecting thread. And, and that's one of the biggest things that I took from Eric. Everything is interconnected, you, you, whether you're playing Errol Hines or you're playing Herbie Hancock or whomever. You want to connect it all. And then within all of that, you want to find who you are. What is your musical voice? What is your musical contribution? But you only can do that from listening to these guys. You know, it doesn't come out of thin air.
1: Well, I think one of the big things that I noticed, too, in your lineage is that early European tour with the Wynton Marsalis Septet. What did you get out of that experience?
2: Really, I... (laughs) What I learned most from that is just, uh,
1: discipline, first of all, perseverance.
2: I mean, it, that was a really tough tour, to be honest. Went, was, it was pretty hard on me. <laughs> and, and he knew I wasn't ready to be on that bandstand, but he, I think he wanted me to learn a lesson, primarily being you have a long way to go to get to where I think you want to go. Secondly, I think he wanted sort of test to, to, to test the waters to see how serious I was. Like if I can withstand this tour of him constantly scrutinizing my playing and and telling me that I don't sound good and telling me, you know, that I'm I'm not playing well, if I could withstand that sort of kind of pressure night after night at these big theaters and concert halls and festivals, then I probably can withstand most of the pressures that will come along in my career. I think about that tour occasionally, just, you know, what that meant and and how you just have to continue to plow through, even if sometimes you think you can't do it. And integrity, you know, one has a, a ton of musical integrity of for what he wants to do. I think it's important for musicians, whatever they want to do, do it because they want to do it. I think that first and foremost, that's what they want to do. It's not because they feel like they're going to have some commercial success or they're going to get some kind of praise from it, that they do it because they truly believe in it. And uh, I think that's a very important philosophy to, to, to take from.
1: Well, obviously things worked out. In 2014, you were commissioned by uh, the Monterey Jazz Fest, one of the youngest to receive that honor. What was that like for you?
2: I was really surprised I got that. I mean, um, I think partly it was because of my relationship to John Lewis's music. Yeah, and John Lewis was the artistic uh, director of the festival for a number of years. I think something like 25 years. Tip Jackson called me to do this. And I was like, well, okay. And a 20 minute piece dedicated to John Lewis. And it was a bit daunting. Like I was, I was, I was really nervous. Cause then I saw all the other people, Wayne Shorter, a lot of, a lot of people who have had this honor, so I'm, I'm looking at myself like, okay, what can I contribute? I, I thought it was a fairly successful endeavor. Um, there, are, like anything, there are things that I thought could have been tweaked with the composition, and maybe I'll I'll go back to it and develop it a little bit more.
1: But uh, people seem to be pleased, and I,
2: it was a, a tremendous honor. Uh, I, I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, and you know, in, in your career as it's blossomed, you've played with a lot of a lot of big names, Cecil, uh, mclaurin Saran, Warren Wolf, Lou Tobacken, Wycliffe Gordon. I could go on and on here, but what, what do you get out of all of these collaborative experiences with not only people that have a lot of mileage, but just in general, what? how does it add to you as a musician? I think playing with especially older
2: musicians, you you, you don't only understand the... Rudimentary elements of playing music, but you also understand uh, the process of going through life and how that informs your own playing. And I think all these guys you mentioned, Wycliffe, who's you know who's been incredibly generous to me over the the last decade since I moved to New York and supportive. You realize how important it is to be a human being, even more than it is to be a musician. And how that affects your playing, and if, if you're a human being that's generous and caring, and and you know, you're kind to others, and but you're also confident, and you're, you, I think that definitely seeps through your playing, and and you feel that, you know, you feel when people want to play with you, uh, and alongside you, and I learned, I learned from guys like Wycliffe or Lou Dobbs and Benny or Benny Golson or. Joe Temperley, who uh, just passed away, like right? guys who were, who had that generosity of spirit. If you have that, and that, that is evident in your personality as a human being, then that's just going to inform your music even more, and it's going to make you a better musician. So I think that's something to, to really take away from, from uh, a lot of these guys. Hale Mayburn's another guy uh, who, who's in his 80s. I think he just turned 80. And he, he's just always generous. And the younger musicians come along. and He wants to share the knowledge. And he wants to, you know, he's he's always excited about being around musicians. And I I will never forget that. Like he, he just spent maybe an hour talking to a bunch of guys he really didn't know that well, but he just wanted to share the information. Um, Kenny Washington, another guy uh, I've got a chance to know a little bit. I've been over his house a couple of times, and he'll he'll, he'll spend six hours just listening to records because he loves the music and he wants to share that. So I think that's important to, re- important to remember as, as a musician. And some, some musicians forget that. They forget how important that is.
1: You know, and this kind of creates, your answer creates an offshoot for me. And, you know, I always get from not only jazz musicians but a lot of these seasoned veterans legends that there is an incredible level of humility. They're humble and they do love the craft. Do you think that creates this stronger spirit in the world of jazz a stronger voice that's real i mean of course it's going to be authentic because it is who they are
2: i think uh people have to look within themselves to 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 ask well who am i how am i influenced musically and uh, just on a on a day-to-day human level, like what are my influences and how do I incorporate that into my art? I mean, people can tell, even if they don't know what's happening, I mean, just audience uh, members, people, people listening, they can tell if something is authentic and something is not. They can yeah. hear it. And, 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 and I think the, the older guys, they have nothing to prove. They are just going to be themselves and nothing else. And I think being a... Uh, a younger man, um, now 30, and as I kind of grow more into settling into feeling comfortable with what I do and who I am, I realize it's like you just have to sort of dig deeper into who you are and not be so concerned about, well, what's the status quo? What are the trends? What's going on around me? Of course, you want to be informed by you know what's happening around you. And be aware. i not saying to be reclusive, but... But at the end of the day, you have to do what's uh, most comfortable for you and and, and, and speaks the strongest to you as an individual and figure out how to then collaborate with other people based
1: on uh, the facilities that you have. So of all the teachers that you've had, um, you have a lot of big names and you play with a lot of big names, whose advice... Still resonates with you quite a bit that you think about that, that gave you advice.
2: Yeah, that's a hard question. Uh, Hank, Hank, Hank Jones once said. He just say to me directly. He was talking to a, a group of us at Juilliard, maybe some pianists. He said, "It is not a weekend job. You got to you've got to live this and do it all the time." And nice. uh, it's the way he put it so simply. He's like. You have to dedicate your life to this. This is not just something that you dabble in, jazz music. You have to dedicate yourself to it. And you have to love it. You really have to love it. And you Love it to the point where you don't care if anybody else doesn't like it, but as long as you love it, it's important. That's really where it's at. Along with
1: Art Tain and Oscar Peterson, and his big influences, who would you consider some of your other jazz heroes?
2: Well, oh, I love... Uh... Uh, I love Errol Garner, uh, I love uh, Thelonious Monk, I love Jackie Byers, I love Marcus Roberts. I've been getting more involved with like, Fred Hersh's playing, I've been studying with him a little bit, he's been a great teacher. I mean, it just uh, a number of pianists, I mean, it really runs the gamut. Cedar Walton, Horace Silver, I mean, pretty much anybody you you've probably heard of jazz piano I like to something, there's something about their playing that I like and I try to take from it. Well, I absolutely love right now Sullivan Fortner. I don't know if you're familiar with his playing. He plays with Roy Harlow, but he, he's he's an absolute genius. He's probably the closest thing to Art Tatum, I feel like to me, that I've heard and in a sense of, and I don't mean that in sort of a pandering way, like, well, you know, he, 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 he plays like Art Tatum, but he has a certain kind of imagination that reminds me of, you know, Arcadum, and just it's that freedom, complete and total abandon, or we're just gonna go for it, and and it comes out almost flawlessly. That's it's pretty impressive. Eric Lewis is another guy who's kind of like that, you know. So
1: let's let's thin this list down a little bit. If you could have the opportunity to go back in the time to see anybody live, who would you really want to go see, and where would you go?
2: Uh, yeah, I would definitely want to go hear Arcadum, No doubt about that. I would want to go hear uh, i want to hear, hear Errol Garner. Definitely. He's another one with another imagination. Just, uh, just just fine, maybe. Duke Ellington, certainly. I would love to hear him and his orchestra. I would have really loved to have heard um, uh, I would have, really would have loved to hear James C. Johnson or U B Blake, another one who was a great entertainer as well. A bunch of guys. Yeah. But yeah, if, if I had to pick one, it would probably be well, honestly, if I had to pick one, it would be Johann Sebastian Bach. But within yeah. uh, if, 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 if jazz, definitely Art Tatum.
1: You've been very clear through this interview about why you love jazz. There's been a lot of a lot of reasons and a lot of ways that you've described it. But I'm going to ask you point blank: Why do you love jazz?
2: Because it's so damn hard,
1: <laughs>
2: you know. But it's it's hard where it's not. It, the harder it is, the more trivial it is. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to the extent where the heart, the, the more you put in and the more challenging it is, the more you realize you really are free to express yourself. But the freedom comes out of discipline and, 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 and serious investigation and spending time and paying a lot of dues to the music. And then on top of that, you have an opportunity to play with other people and improvise with other people. And, and they have their own language that they're 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 embracing that's very exciting to me it's just a very challenging form I mean I was talking to a to a, a opera singer yesterday who who, who uh, we were talking about arias and chansons and and all this and 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 I was and I was talking about sort of the the theatric element of, of singing opera and how you know, you're know you basically like an actor or an actress right and not only in, in terms of like uh, the presentation but also in the interpretation of the music more or less and, and they have to make it feel like what they're singing is being sung for the first time or is in the moment even though they spent hours upon hours rehearsing the exact same thing over and over again right yeah. Well, what, well you, have to, you, have, you have to embody that feeling in the music as a jazz musician, except you're actually composing at the same time. Yeah. And on top of that, you're composing with other people composing with you. And to me, that is, I mean, that, it's crazy to be able to do that. And when you hear guys do it at a very, very high level, you're like, wow, that, that's something else. You'll never hear that again. They're creating a work of art right there. In time. But in order to do that, you have to, there's, it's not just preparing one work, you have to prepare and, and dissect the language of many, many different works, many, many different composers and musicians, and go through a whole lineage in a way that probably nobody else does. Yeah, so that's what makes it, to me, that's what makes it so fascinating.
1: Let me ask you this. Of all the performances and all the fans that you've played for, what's the nicest thing a fan has ever said to you?
2: I don't know. I've had some some really nice compliments, like heartwarming compliments, usually when I feel like I, I've played my worst. I, you know, I can't think of anything on the top of my head, to be honest, like a specific moment where a fan came up to me and said something. Okay, well... I don't know if he's a fan or not, but Ambrose was you're talking about the Monterey Commission, uh, he came up to me after the concert, he was backstage, and he was like, oh man, I heard some third and fifth species in there. He's talking about counterpoint. Yeah. And I was like, damn. First of all, I was, I was flattered that he came to listen to the concert. Second of all, I was just done that, I mean, I wasn't surprised, but like, here's another musician coming up to me talking about Third Species Counterpoint. It's like, it's just great to have something like that. I mean, it it was a bit of a dorky moment, I guess, but it it was sort of a a gesture of of a compliment to say, you know, I know you put time into this music to study it and I, you know, know, I was happy to come and check it out. Right on. It was was really nice, you know, Uh, and I don't know Ambrose that
1: well, but, uh, he did come up and say something to me, which was which was great. Yeah, that's cool, man. So everyone has a version of who you are, your family, your friends, your business associates, all of the people in the crowds that you play for. But when you wake up every day, who do you think you are? Oh, man, I
2: don't know. I mean, that's a hard question. I, don't, I can't even ask. It's probably best to ask all those people that you mentioned. And you'll probably get a you probably get a different answer depending on who you talk to.
1: Yeah. So, I,
2: yeah, I, I don't know. I can't really answer that.
1: That's all right. That that's an answer right there. I dig it. Hey, Aaron, thank you for taking some time out for me today. Thank you for opening up, and thank you for all the music, man.
2: Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate talking to you.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Ohio, New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Aaron for his cool, his music, and all of those great stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, or you can always visit the neonjazz.blogspot.com for all things Neon Jazz. Until next time... Enjoy the music, my friends.
1: Neon Jazz.